Hello everyone, welcome to The Cross in Culture, a podcast that is all about evangelism, discipleship, and leadership in intercultural contexts. This podcast is brought to you by the Atlantic District Multicultural Ministries. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, to your ministry, or to your efforts in reaching out to people, please feel free to give us a rating or share this with your friends on social media so we can be a blessing to more people like you who are hungry to learn more about discipleship and evangelism. For this episode, I'm so excited to share with you a session that Brother Jeff Mallory did during our Multicultural Ministries Conference in Fredericton last year. In this session, he shared his experiences, his stories growing up in the Philippines, and also he shared some insights about working with Filipinos. Brother Jeff Mallory is a missionary to the Philippines together with his wife, and they are doing a great work in the kingdom of God in the Philippines. So without any further delay, here's Brother Jeff Mallory. I was raised in the Philippines um, from age two, so I've got some experience. My first day of school was in the Philippines. And my last day of high school was also in the Philippines and just about everything in between. I was born in Canada, in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, didn't spend a whole lot of time there, but I have a passport that says Canada. And so I guess I'm Canadian too, but I've lived in America. But my upbringing was in the Philippines. My formative years were in the Philippines and um, that entire time uh, being in the Philippines, kind of my unofficial position as a kid was to be a tour guide to the many people that would come to the Philippines. And that was actually my favorite thing to do. And I remember as a little kid, my dad would be too busy and somebody would come in and they'd say, we want to see the city. <clears throat> and so there'd be a vehicle and a driver, and he'd send his kid. And I was the tour guide, and I knew the history of the Philippines. I knew World War II. I knew all the spots that they liked to see, and I would always take them to where your dad pastors, Tondo, and uh, bring them to Smoky Mountain. And Brother Raymar, you were actually our guide through there one time, I remember. They have an incredible children's ministry in Smoky Mountain, which is actually where the church in Manila got its start, was from children uh, from the dump of Smoky Mountain. And it was always a joy when I got to take people around, and I loved introducing people to the Filipino country and, and culture. And that was my adopted home, my adopted people. I was so proud to tell them everything about you know, the, the, the country, the food, the culture. I had jokes to tell. You know, there was all, all kinds of things that went into that. But I'll never forget one uh, such visitor was a young and very, very pale-skinned man from Illinois making his first international trip. He'd never been out of the United States. And the year was 1985, and he was there for the World Conference in Manila. And me and another missionary kid, Marty Barnell, were asked to pick him up from the airport. Our dads told us something like, you know, uh, be hospitable, make him feel welcome. And we were happy to pick this guy up because we heard he was bringing us Heinz ketchup. 
And at the time, we couldn't buy Heinz ketchup in the Philippines, so we would have ransomed our younger siblings for one thing of Heinz ketchup, but he was bringing a bunch of it, so we were excited to go meet him. We should have been given much more detailed instructions, but our parents were busy preparing for that huge conference, and, and uh, the fact that this, this man from Illinois had been traveling more than 30 hours and hadn't slept for two, two days didn't even make a blip on our radar. We had no idea that at the time he was not feeling well, and he wanted nothing more than a shower and a long sleep in a dark room. And so we're just teenagers, and we've got a car, and we've got a driver, and we don't have any brain in our heads. And so in hindsight, we were probably doing what we wanted to do and not really what the visitor wanted to do. But we took off driving. He didn't know what was happening. We're telling him about the Philippines. It's nonstop. We're so excited showing him this and that, and, and we're driving, and he's falling asleep, and we're waking him up. You're going to miss this. And we go down to the countryside and, and leave the congested city of Manila far behind. And after some time in the van, he, he finally asked, how far is the hotel? And we said, oh, from the airport, it's only about 15 minutes, but we're not going to the hotel. We're going to the ocean. We're going to the beach. We're going snorkeling. We're going island hopping. We're going to jump in a banca boat and, and we're going to have a huge day of exploration. And uh, we were telling him about the white sand and the crystal clear waters and, and everything. We were just so excited about that. If we would have had the spirit of discernment, we would have seen the look in his eye, which was a mis mixture of hatred <laughs> and panic. <clears throat> because this was probably the last thing that this guy ever wanted to do. And uh, he hated us in that moment. He actually told me this years later. I said, I'm so sorry, but... We drove two hours to the coast, and, and like I said, he just kept nodding off. He was falling asleep, and, and, and we'd, we'd wake him up. We wanted to be a good guide, you know. You've got to see this. And we educated him on the beautiful culture of the Philippines. We finally ended that drive at the top of an oceanside cliff and unloaded all of our gear and began the long and arduous hike down the cliff to the ocean. It was in Batangas your province, Pastor Benji. And there we boarded, boarded, uh, boarded a banca boat. And he looked out at the dark ocean that had suddenly become very stormy and was asking us questions like, where are we going? And I said, we're going out there. Well, you couldn't see anything but just dark ocean, you know, and, and waves. And he's like, why? I said, well, there's an island out there, and we're going to go... Snorkeling, you're going to love it, I promise. For those of you that don't know, a banca boat is basically a canoe with outriggers. And it's got a lawnmower engine, maybe a 10-horsepower engine or something. And we put all of our stuff in the, in the boat, and we headed out. And he was getting sick because the waves were big, and, and, and we, were, we were loving it. He was crying. We were loving it. And uh, we told him, just eat something. Well, he ate something. <laughs> it made him even more sick. So <clears throat> that didn't work. The boatmen, though, were, were praying in tongues, or it sounded like it, because me and Marty 
or actually on the front of the bonka boat. It always has a thing that sticks up, and if you get on the front, you can hold on to that, and when the boat would go into the waves, we would jump and push that boat down so we could submarine under that wave. That's what we would do. We loved it, you know, but on this day, we probably shouldn't have been doing it because the, the waves were huge, but, you know, we're dumb. And we're cheering, and we're just loving the experience. We look back at him. He's down on the bottom of the boat. He's just, oh, God. The boatmen are yelling at us. We can't hear it because they're bailing water out of the boat. You know, it's filling up. And they're probably saying something like, stop it, you dumb kids. You're going to kill us. By then, this pale American was considering double homicide. Finally, it did get so bad, and I'll never forget, it got so bad that the two of us, the two missionary kids, we actually stopped cheering and stopped trying to push the boat under because we realized we really might sink. And so we started bailing too. And at one point, at the height of the storm, the waves got so big, over the howling wind, I heard Marty yell, If the boat goes down, somebody save the ketchup. We continued on to the small island where we were going to snorkel, but the water was not clear due to the storm. But we got out anyway, you know. We wanted him to see this. We finally got back to the hotel. That man could hardly walk. He didn't say a single word to us on the entire ride back, except this. He said, I'm so hungry. And we passed a little barbecue, you know, the chicken barbecue, pork barbecue, whatever barbecue on the side of the road. It's a little bitty thing that they fan the the coals, you know. He said, what is that? Marty said, that's instant diarrhea. (laughs) So we didn't eat anything. It was almost midnight, and even me and Marty were worn out. We dropped him off. He didn't say goodbye. He didn't wave. He just got out and staggered into the hotel. That man turned out to be one of the greatest missionaries of the last 30 years. And he told me later, he said it almost never happened because when he got into his room, he closed the door and said out loud, as long as I live, I will never come to Asia again. He hated the place, he said. But of course, the World Conference started and God began to work on him. And that man was Steve Willoughby. He ended up coming to the Philippines many times after that, but for some reason, he never asked me to pick him up at the airport. (laughs) But since age two, I was in company of the foundation of the church in the Philippines, and I just have to tell you, they were my heroes. Um, Part of the reason was my mom and dad were always positive about the Filipino people. They, they were busy. It was the foundation of the church. When they got there, there were 15 churches. There were not many believers at the time. And they would go on arduous missionary trips. And, and, and they lived with a lot of hardship. But they didn't come back with the stories of the hardship. They came back with the testimony of the beautiful people that they met along the way. And, and they, they told us of the miracles that were happening and, 
and the pioneering, the dedication of those pioneering Filipino leaders in those days. One day, the world needs to hear those stories because they would not be out of place in the book of Acts. And um, the, the dangers they were willing to endure are the thing of legend. But they told stories of humble and poor and many from remote places, even who came from Smoky Mountain. Do you guys know where the handful of rice thing came from? Have you ever heard that story? I'll tell you someday, but it came from the, the people who came from Smoky Mountain in the early days of the church in Manila. But they were from slums, or they were former gang members, just like Pastor Benji, and, and even murderers who went to Bible school and got their lives turned around. And they became the foundation of the great revival in the Philippines. The story is absolutely amazing. Um, many of the older ones have memories of me. In, in their Bible school days, um, a little kid, blonde hair, coming up to them and, and, and pulling food off of their plates and eating it with them, you know. And I didn't realize then that food was strictly rationed, um, so sh I'm pretty sure they weren't too excited about this kid taking food off of their plate. But they treated me like family, and I, I loved them. My earliest friends were children from the villages and the areas that we lived in. My brothers and I went to Sunday school with children from the slums of Manila, and I'd seen where they come from. I saw the condition of their life, how they lived, but then I watched that they flourished after, that, that when you taught them the principles of the kingdom, that, that they, they grew out of that, and they learned Bible verses, and, and, and they were as smart or even smarter than we were, and talented, and, and they had dreams, and they were real people. And the only thing that was really separating us were our circumstances. It was the social or the economic circumstances. I, we were blessed the way we were raised, but they came from horrible, horrible living situations. But at an early age, I understood something, that we are not superior to them. We only have more stuff. Maybe we have uh, more education, and maybe we even have better health as a result of all of these factors. But as people, they're every bit as great or greater than we are. And my wife and I are committed to the Filipino people. The reason we've sold everything that we've had twice, once in the 90s and then once five years ago, is because we have the memory of what God does with these people and, and through these people. To me, the Filipino people are some of the greatest people on planet Earth. Amen. And they're not without their weaknesses. Nobody's perfect. But they're evangelists. And they love God. I was their biggest fan because sometimes my dad would let me ride, ride along with him and, and he served as the Sunday school bus. And I'll never forget how happy and joyful the children were to come to church. And that ministered to me because to me it's just another Sunday. But for them it was, it was an escape. It was a rescue from the condition of their life. And they laughed so easily. And they found satisfaction in the smallest things. And, and they always gave me and my brothers a perspective on hardship and overcoming. And how blessed that we are. And so I learned so much from them then, and I'm still learning from them 
now. I'm 55 years now, and I actually respect the Filipino people even more than I did then. Amen. Now, let me say again, I know uh, everybody has weaknesses, and if you wanted me to talk about weaknesses, I could. But they're powerful. The Filipino people are powerful. Um, In the things that really matter, they have the abundance of those things. Um, If you think because, you know, you've got a nice home or a nice car, and if you do, God bless you, I have a great job, and so somehow I'm better than somebody that doesn't, um, that doesn't really factor into who a person is. That that just says a little bit about your situation in life. Um, Stuff isn't what makes us great. Stuff is not what makes us special. Um, Stuff, you know, Jesus never said great stuff or great education or great reputation. He said things like great faith, greater love. He he talked about things that that really mattered in, in life. And in fact, his disciples said, who is the greatest? And Jesus brought a little child into the middle of them and said, unless you are converted or changed to be like one of them, you won't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so something that that we compute doesn't factor into Jesus' computation. And he instructed his followers to humble themselves as this little child, and whoever does that would be the greatest in the kingdom. And so... When we go to the Philippines, we have a lot of people come. We never invite people to come to the Philippines who we feel have an air of superiority. I don't care how great they preach. If they think they're coming and they're better than the Filipino people, we just say, no, you're not welcome. You're not coming. And we're, we're, we're actually pretty sensitive to respect levels. It's, it's easy to miss what life is really all about Um, especially if your value system is material things. And so my wife and I, we moved our young family to the Philippines to teach in the Bible school in the 90s. And I was attending a minister's conference in the southern island of Mindanao. And in in Mindanao, they have cities and they have mountains. And the mountain people are quite uh, different than the city people. Um, they, They don't have the things that the city people have. And I remember standing at the back of that large minister's conference, and it was actually before the service started, but they were announcing awards. They were giving out awards to the various ministers that were in the congregation, and they actually had an award for the minister that won the most souls personally. Now, I haven't been to a conference here in which we do that, but there it's a thing. And they, they said, you know, how many souls this minister won and that minister. But the, the one who won the award that won the most souls the year before was a man standing at the back near me. And he didn't have shoes. He had rubber slippers. And his clothes were pretty threadbare. And so by that, I could imagine he pastored somewhere in the, the mountains and... He had won the most souls. And they said, come up and receive your award. And, and he didn't move. He just stood there. And, and the other ministers were pointing at him and telling him, you've got to go up. 
but he had rubber slippers on. And I watched the minister that stood beside him. He looked down and he saw the rubber slippers that he was wearing and he kicked off his shoes and he stepped over. And the man saw those shoes and he got out of his rubber slippers and he put his shoes on and he went up to receive his award. And I thought, wow, I, I wish I could be like him. He won the most souls. Isn't that really what matters? And so service went on, and after the service, the preacher, he told all of us ministers to get into groups and pray for one another, and I wanted to be near him. I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to pray for him because he didn't look like he'd been eaten very well, and it, it didn't look like he had much, you know, his, his clothes. And um, so I, I stood by him, and I held his hand as we got into a, a circle to pray for one another, and, and I prayed, God bless him. I prayed, God, whoever he pastors, bring income into them and, and give them jobs and let finances flow and put food on their table. I mean, I was praying for all of the stuff, but then I began to hear what he was saying. And I never understood, I never found out later why he was able to speak in English because he obviously came from a remote area of Mindanao, but he was praying in English. Maybe he was praying in tongues, I don't know. But what he was saying was, God, give me strength to endure. He wasn't praying for stuff. He was saying, God, give me courage. God, break my pride. God, let me stay faithful to your cause. And he was praying for things like that. And as I listened to him pray, I just went silent. And I realized that I really don't even know how to pray, I guess. Because here I am praying for stuff material things because I think that's what he needs but it reminds me when Jesus said that there was a merchant who was looking for pearls and the world is full of pearls but he found the pearl of great price and when he found that pearl he sold everything and he said just give me that one I don't need all those I just need this one pearl and standing there that day I asked that man to pray for me because I realized that's the pearl the pearl in life is to be able to serve God without without being encumbered by all of the materialistic things I'm not against blessings God does bless us it's just part of what happens he loves to bless us but that shouldn't be why we serve him And humility, true humility, is a beautiful thing. And it, it always bothered me to hear some of the, 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 the greatest ambition of a Filipino in the Philippines is to migrate to North America. Now, if you're migrating, that's fine. If, if you want to come, don't get me wrong. North America needs Filipinos to migrate because you're a massive blessing to North America. But sometimes I think North America is actually a curse. North America is moving away from God. We don't need people to come to North America to become North Americans. We need people that if you want to come to North America, come, but be yourself. 
You've got to be salt. You've got to be somebody that says, I'm not coming to be like you. I'm coming so you can be like him. I'm not coming for your culture. I'm coming for kingdom culture. And the danger is, is that you can live in North America, but North America lives in you. And so, I don't have much time here, and so just allow me just to kind of, um, just give me the benefit of the doubt here. But in the few minutes I have here, I know I'm not going to give the, this all the time that it deserves, but I believe there needs to be a concentrated effort among the Filipino community to keep the part of you that makes you the greatest evangelist on planet Earth stay the greatest evangelist on planet Earth. And we're close enough to some of the leaders and pastors in the Philippines. They, they feel comfortable asking us questions, personal questions. And trust me, Filipinos can ask personal questions. How much is your car payment every month? They'll ask you that. You know, that's, that's kind of the things, right? Filipinos ask. Well, they would ask me things like, you sold everything in America to come to the Philippines and just serve. You have no position. You have no you know, accolades or whatever, and you live among us. But we, we dream of the exact opposite. We want to go there and get everything. Why are you, you doing this? And I realize I'm walking a fine line here, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to make your life better for yourself and your family. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having things and blessings. But the fact of the matter is this world is temporary, and we can't lose the, the, the picture that there are things more valuable than all of that, than stuff. Amen. Filipinos have inherent humility. It's, it's a cultural trait is, is humility. And there's a, there's a negative side to that too, and I won't deal with that here, but they're taught to be humble. They're also taught... Gratitude. If you're around Filipino people and they grumble and complain, you are around an aberration because they don't do that. If they're going through hard times, one of our staff members at Hope Village, our foundation, he was determined to drink the water from our deep well, even though we had it tested and there are microbes in it. There's bacteria. And he said, I'm going to drink it. I said, I don't want you to drink it. There's bacteria in it. He said, oh, no, I'm a Filipino. I can handle it. Well, after a period of time goes by, he ends up with an intestinal problem, and he's sick. And I said, you're sick. You need to be drinking this purified water. No, it's expensive. I said, we'll pay for it. He said, no, we can manage. I said, you don't need to manage. You need to be well. But Filipinos don't complain. They're thankful people. Filipinos have a heart for God. If you walk up to a Filipino stranger, if you're in an, an elevator with them, and that elevator, you're only in there for 10 seconds, that is enough time to witness to them because they want to hear. You just say, what church you go to? Man, they're all about it. They want to know, where do you go? What do you believe? 
They worship. Oh, the last service we we were in on the island of Mindoro just not long ago, I think it was 41 degrees, but humid. And that was outside, and inside it was a metal roof. And that hot sun turned that building into an oven. And it was jam-packed. And for some reason, they don't like ventilation. They love walls. I'm like, I hate walls. Open everything up. We need air. It was so hot, I'm literally almost passing out up there. And I look out at them, and they're sweating too. They're perspiring, but none of them complain, and they keep worshiping. They worship for hours. They do it with a smile on their face. They may be hungry, tired, even feeling ill, but they're going to come to church anyway. Are those qualities that we find in abundance in North America? No, we all know that. Um, we, we demand our rights. We have high expectations for comfort. And we look for reasons not to sacrifice. And I know I'm using generalities. And if I was here talking about the strengths of the Canadian church, I'd have a lot of things to, to, to brag on about with you guys. And the American church, I'd even find some good things there. But right now I'm talking about Filipinos. And there may be somebody that's, that's not here and you're watching this. And my plea to you today is don't lose what makes the Filipinos so great to the kingdom of God. When you come here, don't lose that, that that causes you to excel in any circumstance. Filipinos can go to any country of the world. They're the only nation. They're the only people, according to the United Nations, that has a population in every other country of the world. And wherever they go, they bring their faith, they bring their, their, their religion, and they're spreading the apostolic message all over the world. Amen. And so what I would like to say is, if you gain the whole world but lose what really matters, you didn't gain much. You lost more than you realized. You know, one of the families that we're closest to in, in the Philippines, Pastor Cesar Pastano there, he pastors a, a large and revival church in the, in the metro city of Manila. And our children were best friends growing up when we were on the Bible school compound. Our families were together and our kids and their kids were about the same age and they ran in packs. We received an urgent need to pray for their eldest son, Michael, one day and, and my wife and I we went to prayer because he was found unresponsive on the floor of their bathroom, uh, their bathroom floor. And it was 4 a.m. when that happened, and there was no ambulance available. They couldn't, they couldn't get anybody to take him to the hospital. And so they ran next door to the funeral home, and they actually were able to get the hearse in the funeral home and bring him to the hospital. And this healthy 25-year-old anointed and most precious beautiful soul passed away with no rhyme or reason he, he was just dead and gone and he was supposed to be married um, one month later and he's gone 
30 minutes after he was declared dead, I, I was able to get his father, Caesar, on the phone. And, and Brent and I, we're both weeping. I mean, this was a devastating loss. And, and uh, he, he, it didn't make any sense to us. And he was the first to church. He was the last to leave. He spent time with everybody. He, he just was a, a wonderful, wonderful person. And he's gone. And so here we are crying, but Caesar was comforting us. The father was comforting us. And this is what he said 30 minutes after his son was declared dead. He said, we are trying to find the blessing in this. It was like an atom bomb went off in my spirit when he said that because it highlighted the difference in thinking. Because what happens to us many times, and even though I was raised in the Philippines, I have a Western mind what we do is we ask why. Why did this happen? And it's, it's like as though somehow it's not supposed to happen to us. But Filipinos don't lose that sense of gratitude. But oftentimes people ask me, why are there so many miracles overseas or like places like the Philippines? We would like to see more here. And I tell them because the Filipino know how to suffer. They don't like to suffer, but they know how to do it. And North Americans, we, we forgot how to suffer. We used to know how, but we forgot because we don't think we should suffer. We think that something's wrong when we have to suffer. When there's not a full uh, stock of groceries on the shelves and we don't get to get the item that we want when we go to the store, we complain because it's not supposed to be that way here. I'm not supposed to have to have trouble seeing a doctor. I'm, I'm not supposed to have trials that come against me. It's foreign to us, but it's natural to them. They suffer with gladness. I know standing here right now, that doesn't even seem to compute with us, but Count it all joy, the Bible says. Even the heartaches, the trials, the hunger, and the storms, and everything give what? Thanks. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Thank you for that rousing response. I know this is really going over well. We endure hardship as what? A good soldier. A good soldier doesn't get into the fight and complain, oh, he nicked me. Why did that happen? Why am I bleeding? No, he fights. I'm in a fight. I'm supposed to bleed. That's just what happens when you get into a fight. But I'm going to heal. And when I get done bleeding, I'm going to get up and fight again. And that's the mentality that we have to have. Don't leave those qualities behind in your homeland. Bring them here. Amen. Two typhoons locked over the city of Manila for several days, and there was torrential downpour. And um, it happened to be while everybody was sleeping. It was a Saturday night when a major dam upriver failed. It broke. And without warning, the floodwaters rushed into that city. It's a city of 20 million people. And along the, the, the areas where that, that water was were actually millions of people living. And within 30 minutes, in the middle of the night, the waters rose 12 feet. 
Nobody knows how many people passed away because the the flood waters rose quickly, but they also receded quickly, pulling everything out into Manila Bay. And that church, Park Church, um, they invested a lot in sound system and musical instruments. They have an incredible music program. They have school buses and church buses and whatnot. Everything was underwater. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, I called pastor and I said, what's the situation there? And he said, wow. He said, we're on the second floor looking out. He said, the roads, the, the main roads are just covered in two feet of mud. He said, all of our church members live in the affected areas. And you would think that'd be the end of the story, but it wasn't. Because though they couldn't communicate with one another, when it came time for church, the members come trudging through the streets. There was no public transportation. They had to walk. And they're bringing shovels and brooms and mops and towels and buckets and cleaning supplies. And they come to the church. And they work together as a united group. And they clean that whole big old church up. And then when they get it clean, they're all dirty, they're muddy, and they have a service. They worship, praise God, hallelujah, we have a church. We have a church family. We're here. The flood comes, but we're still here. And no matter that it's, that it's a storm or what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God anyway. And then they went back and cleaned up their homes. We need that mentality here where it doesn't matter what happens i'm going to church i'm going to church and if there ever was an ungrateful generation it's the generation at the end the bible says that we're going to have trouble with gratitude and so when you come here have gratitude don't lose what makes you so special and so whenever anybody is migrating I'm happy for them you know I, I I say good for you you know but then I wonder when you go there what are you going to lose or are you going to keep it and you have to fight for that you have to fight for that and let me just talk to the people in this church who aren't Filipinos if you want Filipinos in your church Probably the most important thing I would tell you is you have to respect them. You have to respect them. Not just love them, but respect them. And if you want them in your church, pray, God, give me respect for these people. There's always an influencer in a Filipino community, a family, a group. There's always an influencer. They're, they're an elder. And you may be witnessing to all the members under the elder, and you're frustrated because they don't come to church. And the reason is you've got to find that influencer because they might be standing in the way of them coming to church. It might be some little old lady that doesn't say anything in the group or a little old man. But if they stand against you, they're not coming to church. You've got to win them. And what I found about, what I found about 
the elders, they're very sensitive people. They're very sensitive. And to win them, they have to believe that you respect them. That you're not just asking them, hey, come to church. I want you to be part of my church. No, it's, it's got to be more than that. You, you've got you've to respect the Filipino people. But do you know who else needs to respect the Filipino people? It's the Filipino people. Don't let your children forget their heritage. Don't let them lose their connection or grounding to what makes you special or different. It grieves me so deeply when we meet Filipinos. And let me just say, I think the Filipinos here in Canada are different. But the ones in the United States, many of them, not all, not all, I'm being general, but not all, when you speak to them in their language, they will reply to you in English and they don't want to say a single word of their dialect. It's like they're embarrassed about it. When have you been to the Philippines? Oh, I haven't been in 20 years. I'm not going back. It's dangerous. There's crime, you know, whatever they say. And it grieves me because I, I, I see that they're wanting to lose their, their heritage and their children are forgetting their culture and they don't know the language and they're actually embarrassed of their country. Thank God for people who say, I love where I came from. <clears throat> and... Filipinos are evangelizing so many places in North America and you are successful in places where North Americans are not successful. You're bringing revival to places that have been so hard to, to get into, but you guys are having incredible revival. And it's not because you're in North America. It's because you're Filipinos in North America or you're Ghanaians in North America or you're Cameroonians in North America. You're, you're whatever. You come here because we need what you have. And so Canada doesn't need another Canadian. We got a lot of them. America doesn't need another American. We, we're loaded with Americans. We need more Christians. We need more kingdom citizens. Amen. We need more Filipinos to teach us how to be grateful, how to show up and not complain, how to have faith in, the, in, in any circumstance, how to worship no matter what is going on. That's what we need. We need people who do that. We need people who come over here and just say... I'm not losing who I was. I'm going to teach you to be more like me in some things. And so if you're a pastor here, you're hitting a brick wall at your church, you're feeling worn out. Let me just throw something out here. Try something different. Go to some of these communities that don't look like you. Really, you've got Filipinos in your community. They're everywhere. You've got people from West Africa, they're everywhere. You've got people from South America, they're everywhere. And go say, we need you. Respect them, reach them, love them, get in their community, get immersed in their community. Don't just invite them to church, go to their birthday parties. I have found with Filipinos it works. You don't have to be invited. I know. I just show up. And they're so, so polite, they never complain. They're not like, what are you doing here? No, it's like, hey, sit down, eat with me. I don't know who you are, but I want you to eat with me. Get yourself involved in their life. It's going to take work. 
It was two years before we had a first convert in the Philippines. Can you believe that? They didn't want to convert, but it took time. You got to have a long game to this thing. Amen. But my, my final word here is just, and I hope I wasn't, I hope Canadians understand what I'm saying. Americans, if you're watching, understand Filipinos and everybody else. I'm just trying to say that there are some qualities that we need here. Amen. There, there's some things here. We need a spirit of sacrifice. I could tell you story after story, but my time's up. Amen. Filipinos, we need you to be Filipinos. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for the Filipino community. God, I thank you that they're in every nation of the world. I thank you that in Paris, France, the church was started by Filipinos with Filipinos. I thank you that in Hong Kong, that it was house girls, housemaids in, in Hong Kong that started that incredibly powerful church. The church in Singapore that Brother Willoughby went to was Filipino house servants. In Amman, Jordan, Filipinos. In Athens, Greece, Filipinos. In Tel Aviv, Filipinos. In Saudi Arabia, Filipinos. In Kuwait, Filipinos. In Dubai, Filipinos. In Norway, Filipinos. In Ireland, Filipinos. In Amsterdam, Filipinos. In England, Filipinos. In Montreal, Filipinos. God, I thank you for the Filipino. I thank you for their, their evangelism. I thank you for their excellence in worship. I thank you for their spirit of gratitude. God, I thank you for their humility. I thank you for their heart for God. I thank you for their culture that puts God first. I thank you for all of that. And God, I pray for the Filipino community that they would never lose that. And that that spirit could rub off on the North American church. Oh God, let it happen in Jesus' name.